Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Two sisters, one a respected TV producer, Jill Blackstone, and the other, Wendy. She was disabled, nearly blind and deaf, and Jill had devoted herself to taking care of Wendy. Jill was her best friend, her sister, her everything. But the sister bond was shattered when Wendy and some of the sister's rescue dogs were found dead in a garage next to a toppled-over barbecue grill. Jill says accidental carbon monoxide poisoning killed everyone. Police do not believe her. Police arrested Jill Blackstone for the murder of her sister. Investigators think it was staged to look like an accident. Who will you believe, especially now that a secret source has come forward with evidence never made public before? Jill was a good producer. There's no doubt about that. But would she produce murder is the question. Season two of Bad Bad Thing, The Blackstone Sisters, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I always say, show me a perfect family. I'll show you a family with secrets. everyone and welcome to episode 333 of the true crime all the time unsolved podcast i'm mike ferguson and with me as always is my partner in true crime mike gibson give me how are you i'm doing good how about yourself i'm, I'm doing well man i yeah. really am having a good week i feel good uh, i mean i said it on on tcab but i'm trying to eat a little bit better yeah that always makes me feel better when i don't eat so much junk well that's true now if i could mix in the workout part of it which I loathe, I probably would feel even better. That's never going to happen. It's probably not. You have every piece of equipment anybody would ever need to work out. And my wife uses it all. Yeah. And you just look at it and then go right past it. <laughs> right past it. Yeah. Do something else. Hey, let's go ahead and give our Patreon shout outs. We had Lou Lamborn. Hey, Lou. Janice. What's going on, Janice? Stacy Simmons. Hey, Simmons. Michelle Durst. What's up, Durst? Jamzy Scheidel. Well, thank you, Scheidel. Catherine Tanner. Hey, there's Tanner. Lingle. What up, Lingle? Candy Montoya. Ah, uh, Montoya. Jackie Rose. What's up, Jackie? Karina Yu. Hey, Karina. James Grantham. Well, Grantham, I like that. Amber Dunham. What's going on, Dunham? And Lyanne jumped out at our highest level. Well, thanks, Lyanne. Appreciate you. Yeah. Appreciate the new support. And then if we go back into the vault, we selected Nathaniel Hobbs. Hobbs from, you know, the uh, uh, the elf. The elf. The movie, the elf. Elf. Oh, wh- which one was Hobbs? He was the one that was running, like, the his dad. Oh, okay. Right? Didn't he- You're talking about the one with Will Ferrell? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. I've seen the movie, but I don't remember. I don't remember what his first name. I think his last name was Hobbs, so. <laughs> okay. Random, I know. We'll go, yeah, very random and just have a slight little piece of the puzzle. Very slight. But it's it's normal. 
We also had a great PayPal donation from Michelle McCann. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, we appreciate everyone who chooses to support the show. Gibbs, right now on True Crime All the Time, we have an episode out on Oscar Pistorius. This is a case that fascinated me when it was going down and sure did. was obviously very heavily covered in the media. The Blade Runner. The Blade Runner. They called him the, the fastest man on no legs. But it's also a case that is fascinating from the standpoint of Okay, you only have his version of events and you know trying to figure out what really did happen that night. You know, the prosecution has their theory, he has, you know, what he says yeah. happened his story and um you know it's up to a judge to figure it out. All right buddy, are you ready to get into this episode of True Crime All the Time Unsolved? I am ready. We're talking about the disappearance of Max DeVry. 14-year-old Max DeVries went missing on a family vacation to Aruba in May 2004. Have you ever been to Aruba? Once. I have never been. Yeah, just once. Only for a day, though. Okay. Yeah, one of those cruises where you... Where they they dock and you get off for X amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, those are pretty fun because you get to see what, you know, a certain place is like without kind of locking yourself in for let's say three, four, five days. Exactly. And then you find out, Oh, I made a bad mistake, but I got four days left yeah, on yeah, this vacation. Yeah, I got to finish this out. And then if you like it, you can come back and stay, which you did. I think at, at some place, a few of them, um, you went for one day, decided you really liked it. And then you went back for like a longer. I did stay. Yeah. Which is a good idea. Like Zuma. Officials declared that Max was lost at sea but his family believes there was foul play involved. His family has alleged that the local police did not do a thorough investigation and they suspect that someone they met on vacation could be involved in his disappearance. Although both cases are equally important, Max's case has been overshadowed by news coverage of the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. So we covered Natalie's disappearance. She disappeared from Aruba what the next year i think it was yeah was it 2005 yeah a year later but when you compare these two cases there is a significant difference in the the coverage that natalie's case received back then and and still does today sure versus the coverage um, that max's disappearance has oh, received huge difference now, there are a lot of factors that go into that. And one of those, you know, is probably that Natalie's mom has been so tenacious over the years and just everywhere. She has been. trying to get on every program and, and just, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging Max's family at all, but that's not the only factor, right? We know that we don't always know why some cases get covered more than others, but we know they do. Max DeVries was born on April 18th, 1990. He grew up in Brighton, Michigan, located in the Detroit metropolitan area. I actually like Brighton. Yeah. Nice little, nice little uh, community. Yeah, I do too. Um, you know, visited Brighton when my wife and I lived in Detroit for a number of years. Max's parents are Yvonne and George DeVries, and he has a younger sister named Dominique. Yvonne told the show, Still a Mystery. Max was extremely intelligent and adventurous. Everybody liked him. 
he had a lot of friends. Max was in the eighth grade at the time of his disappearance. Dominique also pointed out that Max was popular in school. People seem to gravitate towards him. As do people towards you. They can. Yeah. They can. When, uh, you know, it was kind of funny, like when we were at CrimeCon. That is not really my element. My element is more solitary. But I can be very interactive. You can be. And that's the perfect setting for me to do so. But I can tell you, by the time Sunday rolled around, I could not wait to get on that plane. Oh, I know. And get back home <laughs> so that, you know, I could be back in my comfort zone. You probably had your bag, bags packed uh, Saturday night. <laughs> I never even unpacked. That's probably <laughs> no, true. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, I've said it before. I do have some anxiety. Yeah. So those aren't always the easiest um, situations for me, but, you know, I think I do pretty well with them. But we always hear about, you know, these people that others gravitate towards. And we all know people like that, right? They're the life of the party. They're interesting. So yeah, people want to talk to them or they're popular. And so they kind of maybe dictate a little bit what, you know, is going to happen or they lead rather than follow whatever it is. I think they're influential. Influential is a good word. Yeah. Reverend Dan McKean told the Livingston County Daily Press in August that he knew the DeVries family very well. He described them as a loving family and said they all adored each other. McKean described Max as funny, bright, a deep thinker, and someone who wasn't afraid to ask questions. All right. You know, Max had a lot going on for him. Sure did. You know, adventurous, wasn't afraid to ask questions, a deep thinker. In the eighth grade. I'm not sure how many eighth graders are deep thinkers. Or thinkers. Or or thinkers in general. I don't know. The family liked to spend a lot of time together. One of their favorite activities was to go sailing. They loved to be around the water. And this, you know, reminds me of of my family. We love the water. But we were lake people. Yeah, you are. So we're not sailing. I've never actually sailed. I love the water. I do too. I, I would love to be on a sailboat or, um, you know, try something like that, but I'm more accustomed to like a pontoon boat or being on a bass boat or something like that. Yeah, it's not uncommon for me to take out my little boat out to the middle of the ocean and just float around. I thought you were going to say your little dinghy. Little t- and, and then I was going to give you a hard waiting. time because <laughs> you really should be careful when taking out your little dinghy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you love to hear this, right? A family who adores each other. They love to spend time together. That's awesome. It is. It's amazing. You know, uh, to do things with each other, have those memories. And I've seen that with you, with your family. Yeah, you've seen my family pretty much in every scenario. Oh, yeah. The good, the bad, the ugly, and there's been all of it. That's a family. That is a family. But we stay together, right? No matter what, through the thick and the thin, the kids stick with us. They tell us stuff. And, and you know, I, I think it's been pretty good. Yeah. Sadly, George DeVries died of a heart attack on November 10th, 2002. This was hard for the whole family, especially the children. Dominique said it felt like no one understood the pain they were going through. In May 2004, 
the DeVries family decided to go on a family vacation to Aruba. They had been many times before for their family vacations. They wanted to continue the tradition. After George passed away, the trip was supposed to be a healing experience, a chance for some much-needed relaxation, and a way for them to honor George's memory. Instead, Yvonne and Dominique would experience another tragedy. Well, I get what they're doing here, right? I absolutely get it. I mean, it sounds like they went to Aruba a lot. They knew the they knew the area. They knew the area. They wanted to, you know, relax first and foremost. That's sure. what a vacation's for. Absolutely. But it's going to bring back some great memories of, you know, having your your dad there, having George there, and um, it's a good way to to honor him. So I I do understand it. I I think there are some people who do like to kind of go to the same area year after year. Yeah. Because they love it, they they're familiar with the the favorite their favorite spots, and then there's those type of people who want to go somewhere different each and every time, each and every time on vacation because they want a different experience. And I mean, there's no fault in in either one of those. Yvonne, fourteen year old Max, twelve year old Dominique, and Yvonne's sister in law only listed as Auntie Pat. We're going on the trip. She was there for emotional support and to help Yvonne watch over the kids. Everyone was excited to spend time at the beach because it was the type of environment they loved to be in. Yvonne said they planned to stay at the resort for the entire trip. Everything was going well and everyone was having a great time. And, you know, who's not excited to take a trip to a tropical location and you know, when you're a kid spending time on the beach and, you know, running around in the water, that's awesome. Yeah. And some of these pools at these uh, mega resorts, just resorts in general, are not your typical pool. I mean, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. And then there's the ocean as well. Then you have the ocean right there. And I used to love that when I was a kid. Now, I, I've, I've told you I hate it now. Right. I don't like the beach. I don't like the ocean. But as a kid... I'd stay in the ocean all day long. Yeah. And then make your little sand castles. Yeah. Make sand castles. But it was the experiences I had over the years that caused me not to want to go back in. Too many jellyfish, stepping on blowfish. After a while, you're just like, there's a lot of really dangerous things you in here. You get tired of people peeing on you? Yeah. 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 I hope people know what that means. <laughs> oh, about the jellyfish? Yeah. <laughs> well, you and I were eating dinner, I think it was last week before we started taping, and you were talking about getting stung by something. What was a stingray? Stingray, yeah. And my wife said, well, you know, you just pee on it. I said, honey, I think you're talking about jellyfish. <laughs> you just can't pee on everything. That's right. And just fix it. I've been stung. Here comes the pee. <laughs> a few days into the trip, Max was playing pool at the resort and met an American man in his mid-30s. They started up a friendly conversation with each other. The man's name was not listed in any of the sources that we used for this episode. Yvonne noticed that Max was speaking to a much older man, but she wasn't too worried because they were just playing pool. The man soon introduced Max to his adoptive father, then 56-year-old David Stacy Sr. David was from Chicago. So David told the family he and his son were in Aruba to celebrate the completion of their adoption process. Seems a little strange. 
Yeah, I think on the surface it it does. And many people have commented, you know, how strange they think this is. You have a 56-year-old man who is adopting a, a man in his mid-30s. Why? Yeah. Finally going to do it, son. I know you're 34 or whatever. We're going to pull it off. Now, Yvonne has said she didn't think anything was suspicious from this interaction. She thought the two men seemed friendly. They hit it off with the DeVries family, so much so that the next day they went parasailing as a group and they ate lunch together. So, I mean, I don't know that that would ever happen to me while I was on vacation. You know, when you're at these resorts, it is kind of fun when you meet another family or two that you kind of hit it off with and you might have a few things in common and Mm -hmm. you can do certain things like that with them. You could. It's it's even better when you find another family has kids the same age as your kids. That's sure. Better. I get it. Yeah, I just think my family's more like a self-contained unit. Yeah, they. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We just kind of operate by ourselves, right. pretty much. Yeah. After lunch, Max and the adult son went out jet skiing. So you know, this was a resort that rented out wave runners to guests and. Who doesn't want to get a, a wave runner and, and go out? Especially, you know, Max, a 14-year-old kid on a wave runner. Oh, man, that's a that's a great time. And it was said that Max had a great time. He was excited. He was in a great mood when he returned. The group went out to dinner together before they ended the night. The next day was May 12, 2004. The DeVries family was spending time at the resort pool David Stacy approached them and asked Max if he wanted to go jet skiing again. Now, of course, 14-year-old Max wanted to go jet skiing. What 14-year-old kid is going to say no to jet skiing? It's not going to happen. No, they'll be like, let's go. Can we go now? But Yvonne said no because he had been out the day before. David offered to pay for Max. And so Max pleaded with his mother to let him go. Yvonne saw how excited he was, so she allowed it. Max and David left together and rented two wave runners. The jet ski ride was only supposed to last 45 minutes. Yvonne became worried when it had been over an hour and Max still hadn't returned. She went to the beach to check things out and saw the resort staff using binoculars to look for Max and David. This was when Yvonne learned that her son was missing. Now the anxiety sets in, right? Yeah. I mean... You know, let's go back to every disappearance case we've ever done. There is someone who at some point in the story realizes that something's not right. My loved one is missing and, you know, anxiety, fear, worry, you can name all these different things is going to set in and it's going to set in pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm sure maybe Yvonne at that point was like, why did I let him go? But I think also she wanted him to go because she knew how excited he was and how it was going to make him happy. And he probably hasn't been happy for a while because of the loss of his dad. Well, we're going to talk about this decision by Yvonne to let Max go out with essentially a stranger. They they had known him you know, for a little while. It's discussed a lot online. Sure is. And we'll talk about that as we go. But, you know, parents are faced with these types of decisions all the time. Maybe not this exact one. 
but there are certain things that maybe you say no to initially. Maybe your kids wear you down because that's what kids like to do. They're good at that. They are good at, at that. And, and sometimes they can wear you down to the point where you say, okay, all right, I give in, go ahead, do, do this or do that. And 99.999% of the time, there's nothing detrimental that happens. But in this case, it did. According to reports, the employees for Sunshine Water Sports called the police after Max and David had been out longer than an hour. A large search and rescue team was quickly dispatched. True Crime All the Time Unsolved is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening to Gibby and I talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts discounts for having multiple vehicles in your policy being a homeowner and more so just like your favorite podcast progressive will be with you 24 7 365 days a year so you're protected no matter what multitask right now quote your car insurance at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates national average 12 month savings of $744 by new customer survey who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. True Crime All the Time Unsolved is sponsored by BetterHelp. See if you've ever been in this situation where you were going through a time in your life where you knew what was good for you, but your brain was getting in the way, making it hard to fall asleep. You just had these racing thoughts about all the things either that you had to do or decisions you had to make. I've been there. Sometimes I feel like my brain is getting in its own way. Well, therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. I've used the BetterHelp service for a while now, so I can say that it's extremely beneficial. I love the fact that I can connect with the therapist through my laptop in the comfort of my own home. No driving, no waiting rooms. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief question questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash all the time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash all the time. Angie's list is now Angie, the home to skilled neighborhood professionals. Angie is your home for everything home, and they've made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience. 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. And all of that means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. About three hours later, the police found David floating near two wave runners eight miles from shore. That's a pretty healthy distance to be away from the shoreline. Eight miles? On a wave runner. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Now, I'm kind of a safety first guy, so, you know. I would I would want to be able to see the land, I would think. I don't know if you could or couldn't from that distance or not. From eight miles, yeah, I'd, I don't know. I'd like to stay pretty close because water's water. It's deep. <laughs> You'd be that guy just doing little circles, right? <laughs> like 20 feet away from the, from, the, from the water line. Can I get this in the pool? Because I'd yeah. really just like to stay in the pool. Like, woo, this is fun. <laughs> if, woo, it's okay. My time's up. If possible. But this is a, a strange scenario, right? Two wave runners. David's not on either one of them. He's just floating in the water. And Max is nowhere to be found. Now, obviously, the police started looking for David's son. They knocked on his door, but he didn't answer. Yvonne noticed that he didn't show up until about 10 minutes before his dad was brought to shore. Yvonne asked him where he had been. He said he was drunk and didn't hear the police knocking because he was sleeping. Well, it's possible, I guess. Yeah, people get drunk. And are hard sleepers. When Yvonne saw the search team bringing David to shore without Max, she said she had an instant feeling. She would never see her son again. Mom's intuition. Yeah. Scary, though. Yeah. Right? She asked David what happened, and he would give a couple of different versions of the story as the days passed. At first... He told Yvonne and the investigators that he and Max rode their wave runners to a sandbar about six miles away. They turned off the wave runners and got off. When they were ready to head back, their wave runners wouldn't start. Max tied up the wave runners to keep them together. They were holding on to them and floating because they had life jackets on. They did this for about an hour. David heard a thump and then saw Max floating away. And that was the last time he saw Max. Okay. So one version of events. Right. As told by David, let's break it down a little bit because they ride out to the sandbar and they turn the wave runners off. I get it. You get out on the sandbar, you're doing whatever. Yeah. Walking around, looking at stuff, whatever. Is it plausible that you go back to a wave runner and it doesn't start? possible that one might not start so you would say plausible plausible but then what are the chances that neither of them start pretty unlikely unless you didn't know how to start a wave runner well obviously they had to have they left right and they had ridden the wave runners the day Day before. before so i mean you know naturally that's the first thing that jumped out at me mechanical failure happens on whatever motorcycles, cars, you name it, anything with a, an engine and a, an electrical system. But to have two different wave runners not start at the exact same time. 
right away makes me think that just seems fishy. So the police have to be thinking this guy is not being completely honest. Well, it's got to be at least going through their 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 minds, right? Something doesn't sound right. David would say, as quoted by the Lansing State Journal, we basically went on a fun trip that went wrong. The last time I saw him was when he was about 35 yards from me. That's a pretty good distance. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not great with yards, so I have to equate them in the terms of a football field. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I know what 35 yards is on a, on a football field. It's a good little distance, especially, you know, if you're in the water and someone is, is floating away from you. Now, could you swim and catch up to someone who's not swimming away from you? Depends on the current. It does depend on the current, but wouldn't you be going with the same current that the person floating away from you is and you're swimming? So now I'm, I'm starting to think that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why? Or at least I'm asking the question, did this guy try to go after him? And it sounds like at least from his story, no, he didn't. He just looked over this, you know, he said that Max was floating away and that was it. He made it sound like it was more like a Tom Hanks and Wilson. Right. Now, the only reason why Tom Hanks couldn't catch up to Wilson is because he didn't think he could get back to his little dinghy. <laughs> so could this guy make the same argument? Right. Yeah, he could. If he could. I go after him, or am I just putting myself in the same position for both of us now to get swept out because we're not going to get to be able to get back to the wave runners. But here's my thought. You're a 56 year old guy, right? You took on the responsibility of taking this kid out and you're just going to watch him float away. Yeah. I can never do that. No, no. And, and again, as we look at our plausibility meter, you know, are these eggs fresh or not? And, and I'm saying right now they don't smell that great. No, these eggs are floating to the top. And no doubt, right? Yvonne found David's story hard to believe. She has said that she saw scratches on David's neck and arms. He looked like he'd been in a fight. This made her suspicious that he had hurt Max in some way. Both Yvonne and David were questioned by the Dutch police in Aruba. David was never considered a suspect per transcribed reports. David again explained that they stopped at a sandbar to swim They couldn't get their wave runners to start. They tried to tow them. That didn't work. During the May 12th interview, David said they agreed to float while holding on to the wave runners with the rope. But Max let go and floated away. I think that's kind of weird, too. You you could float with the wave runner, right, and just do that. Or you can just get on top of your wave runner and sit on top of it. And sit on it. And float that way. Unless it was one of those stand ones. The old timey ones. Yeah, the jet skis. More of a jet ski, but you still can kneel down on it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Again, things just don't seem to be adding up. I mean, I. And why are these jet skis floating in a different direction than Max ends up floating, right? If you're talking about tides and currents right. and, and all that, 
doesn't everything kind of float the same direction? You would think. Now, are they kicking to propel the uh, wave runners? But that would be hard to do when you're hanging on by a rope. Yeah, I think it, I think they figured that out, right? I think that at one point they he made it sound like they were trying to tow him back in, right? By yeah, like swimming. maybe pulling. Yeah, them. yeah, that'd be that'd be tough to do. But again, I would want to be on top of the wave runner to make myself look even more visible to somebody driving by, looking. I get that, but if you're on top, how are you propelling it in any way? Yeah, but can you really propel it at all? When yeah, you're fighting the current. I don't know. Eight miles out, probably not. The authorities launched the most extensive water search operation in the country's history. The search involved divers, hundreds of volunteers, rescue boats, and helicopters. The DeVries family hoped Max would be found, but you know, hours passed with no updates. Dominique told Still a Mystery that by the next day, she knew they would not find Max. So, you know, this is something that we talk about in a lot of unsolved cases. At what point does hope diminish for the loved ones of someone who goes missing? And it it differs in every story, right? Some people never lose hope, but I think you have to look at the circumstances. You have a 14-year-old who floats away in the ocean. Yeah, eight miles from shore. Eight miles from shore, and they, they don't find him in what was called an extensive search. That's a little different than... You know, you're back on land, somebody was walking somewhere, and now you don't know where they are. Neither one of them's great, right. but you would have to say being in the ocean over eight miles away from the shore is a much more perilous situation. And what was David? And did David scream out to the kid and say, hey, Max, did Max reply back or because that thud David said he heard was that Max hitting his head and I, Max was on, you know, I mean, if I saw a kid floating away from me, I would be screaming and going after the kid, but also would think the kid would be talking back to me. Right. He's the, you know, let's say Max would be swimming back towards the jet skis. Yeah. David swimming towards Max and they're both trying to make it back to the jet skis. We don't know because the story was a little spotty. Yes. You know, those, those, some of those details just weren't there. Yvonne said in her interview, it was definitely not what we closed our eyes and dreamt it to be a healing celebration. It ended up being just a bigger part of the nightmare. And I think back to your point, Yvonne actually said she was disturbed when David came out and said he didn't try to talk to Max as he floated out of his line of sight. And why? Doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, I think to me, disturbed is is a little bit of an understatement. I'm I'm upset. I'm more than upset. You know, I'm livid. Yeah. I mean, he's going to come up with a reason why, but... Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to go through a bunch of different things that, that David said. But when you find that out, that he actually came out and said that he didn't even try to talk to Max. He didn't give him instruction. He didn't try to help him by telling him what to do. Um, We already said he didn't try to go after him. All right, you're not coming out of this looking very good. Even if, let's say, you didn't have anything to do with Max's disappearance or death. If that's what happened, 
you still look terrible. Yeah, it doesn't look good for you. David said he did not try to talk to Max when he was floating away because they made an agreement not to speak. He specifically said, as quoted by the Oakland Press, when I saw Max for the last time, he was floating very calmly, moved now and then, but did not try to swim. We did not have any eye contact, and we had not said anything to each other. I don't understand any of that. I don't either. I I, I don't know what kind of agreement you make with a 14-year-old about, hey, if we're going to separate, we get separated, let's not talk to each other because it's better for us not to know where each other is currently located. Makes no sense. You would say, call out to me. Yeah. We get separated, you call out to me, and you swim like crazy to get to me. <laughs> well, and he doesn't say when they made this agreement. Was it after he started floating away? Was it, you know, when they got to the sandbar? I mean, the agreement itself is just ridiculous. Right. Now, maybe Max didn't want to say or call out because maybe he wanted to get away from David. Maybe, you know, maybe he was going the opposite direction because he didn't want to be near this individual. Yeah, but if that's the case, David's not going to admit that. No, he's going to say, oh, we made this agreement not to talk to each other. But he could have said whatever he wanted. He could have. He could have said, yeah, I was screaming out. and I was telling him. screaming. Yeah, I was giving him direction, and he just didn't follow it. He could have said anything he wanted to say because there was nobody else out there. Exactly. But the stuff that he's actually coming up with or saying, true or not, makes no sense. No. Yvonne also remembered that the two men gave different stories about why they were in Aruba. At first, they said they were there because David's wife, the younger man's mother, died a year earlier. However, during a pool game, the son said his mom died when he was a baby. She said they later told the adoption story that we talked about previously. Yvonne told the Oakland Press, it was like they were trying to mirror our tragedy so that I would believe and feel sorry for them and catch me off guard. Well, people do that, right? You know, people that prey on other individuals are like, oh, let me tell you what happened to me. It's similar to what happened to you, and now we can relate, and now we can... Right, now we're we're bonding, and, you know, let's talk about con men. Exactly. They try to gain your trust, right? They need you to trust them for them to carry out whatever it is that they want to carry out, whether it's trying to fleece you out of money or, you know, something a little more nefarious, like, like maybe happened here. The search for Max ended on May 14th. Max was declared missing and lost at sea. So the search was ended after just a couple of days. And, you know, maybe this is a little different than most of the stories we do. And if someone goes missing in any town, yeah, the search is probably not going to be called off after two days unless there's something that causes them to believe that that person has left the area or you know something like that. But we're talking about the ocean here. I don't know how much searching you can do. How far can you go out? Right. The ocean is a very, very big place. Yeah. Vast area to try to cover. David would slightly change his story again the next day. According to a May 15th report, David said Max was sitting on his wave runner, but when he looked up, Max jumped off and was swimming to shore. Okay. 
this 14-year-old kid is going to try to swim eight miles by himself to shore. Is it possible? Yes, it's it's possible. And the shore is going to look a lot closer. You know, eight miles is going to appear closer to you out in the open water like that. Is it like a rearview mirror? Like a rearview mirror. Objects appear closer <laughs> yeah, than what they exactly. really are. Yeah. I'm not saying that, that you know, a 14-year-old kid couldn't make this decision. But again, what is David doing? He's just saying, yeah, kid, go for it. According to David, they weren't talking at all. Right. And he's already floated away. But now, no, I'm changing my story. He was trying to swim back to shore. Again, nobody else was out there. Pick a story and stay with it. When you change things that are so big in direction, yeah. you know, the changes, it, it, it causes you, you to look untruthful. I just find it hard. They had no dialogue. <laughs> yeah. You know? I and, mean, and again, he could have made up anything he wanted to. Sure. You know, he could have gone as far as, as saying that, you know, he couldn't get to Max. He knew he wouldn't be able to get to Max. And Max said, you know, tell my mom I love her. Tell my mom and sister I love her. Exactly. He, he could have said a, a ton of different things. But why would you ever leave a floating device? Yeah, you were eight miles off of shore. As someone just floating in the water, that that is not good, right? But not, I mean, you have a life vest on. You can float there for a while and maybe somebody will find you. But if you're on your wave runner, they're going to find the wave runners. Well, and you mentioned it earlier, right? Number one, much easier to see. Sure. You know, when when you're kind of bobbing up and down with just a, a life vest on, can they see a yeah? But there's there's much less of a profile, right? You you don't have much more than your head and shoulders probably sticking out of the water. A wave runner. Not only do you have your whole bodies out of the water, you've got this wave runner, which yeah. is, which are usually pretty brightly colored. So I would take my chances with the wave runner any day over floating in the ocean or trying to swim eight miles. Cause number yeah. one, I know I can't swim eight miles. If, if it was just like a mile, mile or two, I t- maybe I'd take my chances. Yeah. But that far out, I'd be like, no, I'm going to stay on here, especially if it's going to get dark here soon. I want to make sure I'm above the waterline. Yvonne's suspicion against David, Stacy, and his son was quickly increasing. And how could it not? After all the things that we've talked about, she requested that the police check for DNA under David's fingernails. She also asked them to do a polygraph and even offered to pay for the test, but the police didn't think it was necessary. They reportedly told her, this is not America. We do not do things like that. Well, maybe you should have. Yeah. I mean, I've talked at length about my thoughts on polygraphs, but it sounds to me as though very early on, the police didn't look at David as having done anything wrong. They didn't suspect him of doing anything wrong. And it seems as though that didn't change even with these stories changing and how kind of ludicrous they were. Yeah. I just don't understand. I would think as an investigator, you hear the fact that as an adult man, he didn't make any contact with the child that he took out to the sandbar 
and he just allowed him to float away without any effort. Then he comes back and he changes his story and he's got scratches on his face and his neck. And we're going to be like, yeah, he's all good. Let's not check on that story it. checks out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you just out of precaution, go ahead and scrape underneath his nails and have that just in case down the road. Max's family returned home on May 18th. And how tough would that decision be to go back home knowing that your son's not going to be on that plane with you? I don't know if I could do that. I mean, I know you have to do it, but I just don't know how I could do that. Well, you don't have to. No. And, and I'm not saying she made the wrong decision. I'm just saying how tough would it be? Very tough. And I think it would be extremely tough. Dominique said that during the plane ride, she looked out at the ocean and thought that Max could be out there and they were leaving him behind, but she knew there was nothing they could do. And that is probably true. I don't know what the two of them could have done. Yeah. I think it was out of their control. And I think the Dutch police were telling them that nothing else they can do. So go home and how brave did she have to be? Well, she was probably 12 at that time. Yeah. It had to be very, very difficult. In late May 2004, family friend Linda Kruger told the Livingston County Daily Press in Argus that the family had not heard anything else from the authorities in Aruba about Max's disappearance. And we mentioned this up front, right? Max's disappearance occurred one year before the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Natalie was an 18-year-old student who went missing on vacation in Aruba the summer before she was supposed to start her freshman year at the University of Alabama. And like you said, we covered that case. We did cover that case, and there is no doubt. Max's case is lesser known than Natalie's. Yvonne noticed the massive media coverage for Natalie's case, so she looked for a way to broadcast Max's story and to get help with a potential investigation in the U.S. And I get that, right? You have a son who disappeared. Now... There's been a, a girl who disappears, and it's like it's all over the, the news. Right. It would be very hard to think, well, why didn't, why didn't we get that? Why isn't, why isn't my son as important? Right. Or what do I need to do to make that happen? And that sounds like you know what she, she started to do. She spoke with Lila Lazarus, an anchor and health reporter for Local 4, a Detroit news outlet, Lazarus covered Max's disappearance on Local 4. Yvonne wanted U.S. investigators to get involved in the case. She wanted someone to view her suspicions as more than just mother's intuition. And we talk about mother's intuition a lot. I do believe in it, but I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Because we have all of these stories by David not making any sense. Right. To me, that's more than mother's intuition. It's, sure. It's, you know, something doesn't add up here. Yeah, all your spice senses should go off. Yeah. Lawyers told her that investigations were complicated by maritime law and the fact that Max disappeared abroad. But in August 2005, a neighbor told Yvonne about a local detective who could potentially help her. Yvonne reached out to Lieutenant Corey Williams from the Livonia Police Department Williams worked on the Oakland County child killing case, which occurred in 1976 and 1977. We covered that case as well. We did. 
Over a 13-month period, seven children were abducted in the Detroit area, held captive for several days, and their bodies were found on the streets. It was one of the worst cases in the city's history. So Yvonne set up a meeting with Williams and brought him the police reports. He read the reports and came to believe that there was more to Max's case than him being lost at sea. And I really don't know, Gibbs, what good investigator wouldn't sit down and and look at what was known at that time and say, again, there's more to this. Things are not adding up. According to the Oakland press, he said, the first time I saw it, some of the things jumped out to me that didn't make sense. Based on what I found, they weren't being truthful or giving the full story. And this guy's absolutely right. William said he believed the police in Aruba did not conduct a proper investigation. And I think we feel the same way up to this point with what, what we heard, with what we know and what we learned through the investigation. Yeah. I would have to agree. And we saw some of that in the, in the Natalie Holloway case, right? That was a charge that was levied against the, uh, the police in Aruba yeah. in her case as well. Sure it was. Lieutenant Williams told the show still a mystery right away. Having worked cases involving pedophiles and kids that have gone missing or abducted, the hair on my neck stood up and I thought to myself, I know where this is going. He reviewed David Stacy's statements to the police and noticed discrepancies in his story, which he called a red flag saying the truth is easy to tell over and over, but lies are not. And that's something you've said many times. Sure. You know, if you're telling the truth, it's not that hard to tell it pretty much the same way because you're just telling it exactly how it happened. Right. It is what it is. It is what it is. If you're constantly lying about something and you're asked about it, you know, time and time again, the chances are much greater that you're going to mess something up because... It didn't happen the way that you told it. So now you say something a little differently in one version. In the next version, you get something else wrong because you don't remember what you said exactly. Yeah. It's tough. It is. According to Lieutenant Williams, in one statement, David said Max let go of the wave runner and started floating out to sea. David claimed he called out to Max. He didn't respond, but his eyes were open. In another statement, David said Max let go of the wave runner and started swimming ashore. Now, this differs a little bit from what we said earlier, right? The Oakland press talked about this agreement that David said, you know, he hadn't, he and Max had an agreement where they weren't going to speak for whatever reason. Williams made a call to run a background check and the results were disturbing. Williams told Yvonne, everything that you're feeling is right. They're bad men. So what this background check showed was that David was arrested in California in 1981 for crimes against children. Lieutenant Williams requested a copy of the police report and learned that the victim in this case was David's adopted son. Wow. That's pretty shocking to hear that. This 30-some-year-old adult son that he was going to adopt or disadopt it was actually one of his victims. 
Yeah, I think it's shocking on a number of levels. Number one, you're finding out that David was a pedophile. That's horrible because he was the last person known to have been with your son. And then you're finding out that this man that I guess he claimed was his adopted son, he had victimized him. So what does that mean? That they're together in Aruba so many years later. And so, you know, for me, I have to ask the question. This guy is now in his mid-30s. What is he doing in Aruba with this guy who sexually abused him when when he was a, a kid? Allegedly. Allegedly. Maybe just over time, he's been able to brainwash him. Well, I, I think you can go down a number of scenarios. Maybe at a certain point, the two were of like mind, if that makes sense, and decided to work together. Strong possibility. To victimize children. Yeah. I mean, all we can do at this point is throw out theories. We don't even know if these people are guilty. True. But you would have to say there's a lot of real, uh, really strange things going on. There's a lot of smoke. Yeah. If you're not thinking something's up at this point, you know, I mean, you have to. Like, something's not adding up. Yeah. But what it means... We don't definitively know. William said he was not able to find a record of how the case was adjudicated. He theorized that the two men were working together to target young boys. He said in his interview, I believe that's exactly what happened with Max. So he's kind of throwing out the same theory that, you know, that, that I said was a possibility. And, and I guess I, I said it because I don't know what other reason there could be? Is it possible that this man forgave David for what he did? They reconciled. Yeah, I get, it is possible. But in the context of Max going missing, does it seem maybe a little more likely that not only was David still doing some of the things that, that he had done in the past, but now maybe his th- son was his adopted son or was in to it as well. Right. Williams also noted some problems with the son statement. He first said that his dad had never been arrested before, which obviously we know is not true. He also volunteered that he was a heterosexual man and had never had sexual relations with a man or a boy. Now, why would he say that? Cause it said he volunteered that information. Is it because, you know, he thought the police were automatically going to look at David as, as maybe a predator and he wanted to kind of set that record straight, distance himself from that. Or is it because he knew David was a predator right? and he's trying to kind of put the police off that scent? Yeah, potentially. Williams proposed the theory that the older man took Max out to the sandbar and the younger man met him out there. Some kind of crime occurred that resulted in Max's disappearance. And there was something that I wanted to wait until now to talk about. And it was this question that I had early on, but I wanted to wait until all of this came out. Why would a 56 year old man want to go wave riding with a 14-year-old. Kind of a red flag, I think. It, it could be viewed. It doesn't necessarily mean it is because 
it, it could have just been that, you know, these were great guys. They met this family and he wanted to be nice and take this 14 year old out and yeah. pay for him. But, but you also have to ask, you know, you just met him a day ago. Mm-hmm. Just seems really quick. I mean, if it was like your uncle or oh, a, a longtime family yes. friend, it yes. makes sense, right? But somebody you just met, you know, are they really that generous that they're like, oh, I know you've been through a hard time from, and so have we, and uh, let me just take you out and let you do some wave running, you know, with me. Or is there a much more sinister motive for it? Yeah. And I think the other thing that we haven't talked about yet is Yvonne's decision to let Max go out with, you know, this 56-year-old man. Pretty trusting. Pretty trusting. She didn't want to, and then she ultimately gave in. The one thing that I noticed when researching this case is that in, you know, the comments of any article, any anything you look at, she is just crushed by people saying, you know, how could you let your son go out with essentially the stranger? Yeah. And I see what they're saying. It's also really tough to, to really fully blame her. Sure. Think about where her mindset was at that time. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like, you know, this guy just came up off the beach and said, Hey, can I take your 14 year old son? They did spend the whole day with him the day before. Yeah. They, they had kind of developed this, this little bond, but if this guy really was a bad guy and he probably was a pretty good con man. Yeah. And was grooming just in that short period of time to earn the trust needed to allow him to take Max out on the wave run. Well, I think he was because he made the comments to Yvonne about how he lost his wife, Mm -hmm. right? How similar their stories were. were. Yeah. But But I did want to throw that out there. If you go out and look at this case, she just gets pummeled. Yeah. By people saying, how could you do this? Uh, I would never do this. And and let's be fair. I don't think I would do it. No, I don't think I would either. But I, I can probably bet you that she beats herself up more over this than anybody else could. Kids. Yeah. And yeah. I don't I don't want to be the, the person who does that. I was just pointing out that you'll see a lot of it if you if you look out there. For sure. Yvonne expressed her frustration with the investigators in Aruba saying, It just took Corey a matter of minutes for him to make that phone call. And he found out that the father had charges against him for child molestation. Why didn't the Aruban government, you know, do what he just did and just found that out? Could have been that simple. It it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. But see, the Aruban government didn't think he did anything wrong. So there would be no just cause for them to make those phone calls. That's the thing. Yeah, but you know, this is the problem I have with investigations in a lot of these cases. When you make that assumption early on, everything you do from there on out is based on that assumption. Sure. So you're not going to look into him. You're not going to make a phone call. You're not going to run a background check because you've already made the decision that this was a terrible accident, even though he changed his story a number of times. He didn't do anything wrong. And that can become a very big problem in any investigation. Yeah. William suggested that perhaps the police wanted the families off the island so it wouldn't affect the tourism industry. 
Maybe because that's their industry down there. Yeah, and and I don't I don't know that he's wrong. That could probably do some real damage to that economy, and I'm sure it probably did, based on this followed up by the Natalie Holloway. Yeah, I'm sure it had a situation on, on that island. Like Yvonne Williams wanted the case to be investigated in the U.S., he reached out to a friend in the FBI. His friend told him that he agreed the two men were involved in Max's disappearance. The FBI opened an investigation because they have jurisdiction anywhere in the world if the victim and suspect are Americans. I did not know that. That's interesting. The FBI interviewed the son again. And again, we we don't have his name. We never saw it. But he denied any involvement and stuck with his story that Max was with his dad and disappeared. They offered the son a polygraph, but he didn't show up to take it. And that's not surprising. It also, in my eyes, doesn't you know mean he's guilty, but it's not surprising. No. The FBI was eventually removed from Max's case. According to Williams, every available agent was needed to work in terrorism. So Max's case went cold. In February 2008, Yvonne did an interview with the Oakland Press about Max's case. She said, in the beginning, you want to believe it's an accident, but then you think the worst. And I understand that statement. You know, no one wants to think that the worst of the worst has happened. No. Because an accident, although it would be terrible, would be, I want to say, easier to live with than thinking that, you know, this man that you let your son go with did something horrible to him. She said she was still not sure what happened to Max, but she believes her family was targeted. By the two men, she noted that earlier in the week, they told her, we were looking out of the bar bedroom window and we saw you playing with your kid and thought we had to meet you at the water slide. Yvonne added, that's where it started. They stalked us out there. Sure sounds like it. Okay, but she knew this. They told her this. So I am having a a small issue with that. You know, you talk about spidey senses. I think mine would be raised very quickly if two men came and said, you know what? We saw you and your family out of our bedroom window and we just knew we had to meet you. No, you don't go back to your room. Exactly. Why did you feel like you need to meet me? Yeah. There's something so off putting about that. And and again, I do not want to blame Yvonne. I'm trying really hard not to, but it's impossible not to point out some of these things that to me kind of jump out as, as red flags. Yvonne told the Oakland press that travelers should always try to be safe, especially when they are out of the country. She said, you just have to always be aware of your surroundings and who you're with. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay not to be friendly, not to be outgoing and you, you get lost. You want to have fun. And that's where we were. You want to not always have your guard up, and I should have, I should have. And so, like you said, she's beating herself up more than anybody ever could, but she's also 100% correct. You know, a lot of people, I feel, think that they need to be super polite and accommodating in every situation. And in theory, that's a good thought. Yeah. 
But it's okay to say no. Of course it is. It's okay to tell people, no, whatever it is you're, you're selling, we're not buying. You're never going to see these people again anyway, so it's okay. Yeah, it, it really is. But I do think there are some people who are so nice that they have trouble with that. Right. They invite people into their lives. I am not one of those people who has trouble with that. No, you're, you, you have no problem saying, no, I'm good. No, I, I'm very blunt. I'm very to the point. I try not to be mean. Yeah. But if I'm with my family and two adult men came up and said, you know, hey, we saw you out, your, out of our bedroom window. We just wanted to come and meet you. Right. I would say that makes no sense whatsoever. What you're saying does not compute. No. Yeah. And we are all now dumber having heard what you just said. Yeah. So yeah. P- please walk away, extricate yourself from my proximity. Yeah. And I got my head on a swivel, buddy. Yeah. I, and, and you know, I always do, but in October, 2008, the FBI called Yvonne and informed her that they had closed the investigation. She wrote on the max to the millions website. I can truly say our government as well as the Aruban government did not do enough to find out what happened to my son. It is so sad when a child is lost, killed, missing, or taken. But when it happens in another country, you have no help or paperwork to fill out. Lose a piece of luggage, though, and the paperwork and calls never end. Yeah, I get it. She's frustrated. She's frustrated, and I feel so sorry for her. And I really hope I'm not coming off in this episode as you know piling on. As though, you know, she should have done this. She should have done that. We all do things that we later look back on and say, oh, what was I thinking? I shouldn't have done that. But in the moment, you you don't always think about it. No, I mean, you got, and you you have to remember this family went there a year after their, her husband, their father passed away tragically, right? By a heart attack. And they were just going there to, to try to. Let loose, relax finally. And uh, unfortunately, it seems like either someone took advantage of that situation mm-hmm. or something tragically absolutely happened by accident. Yeah, my thought is they offered that information up probably pretty quickly. The family did. Yeah. Why they were there, you know, the husband passing. And if these two people are involved, and if, right. Then they seized on that and they used it to gain their trust. And, sure. you know, they probably maybe even accidentally bumped into them. Hey, hey, there you are again. Let's go get lunch. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? This is what people do yeah. to try to get close to you. You think it's, you just ran into them again when they had it staged from the get go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is what con men do. Predators do. In 2023, Max's case was featured on the show, Still a Mystery, the show that we've referenced throughout this episode. His family hopes that investigators will continue looking into the case, and they hope that more media outlets will report on his disappearance. Yvonne said, I would like an end to the story. Those two men know what happened to my son. It was more than just a jet ski accident. No arrests have been made in regards to Max's disappearance. There are still a lot of unknowns in Max's case. There are a lot of questions, Gibbs. Was Max targeted by these two men they met on vacation? 
did a crime occur at sea on May 12, 2004, or did Max die in a tragic accident? It seems like these questions will remain unanswered unless the investigation is renewed or, you know, someone comes forward with information, maybe their conscience gets the better of them, which I don't know that if it happens all that much. I mean, the other thing I keep thinking is if Max had a life jacket on, I don't know, would he eventually be found at some point? Maybe, maybe not. But do we really know if he had a life jacket on at the time of the disappearance? We know nothing. Right. We, we know absolutely nothing. You know, as we're wrapping up this case, I'm kind of with Detective Williams as far as, you know, if we're theorizing what happened, and, and like you said, this is all allegedly. Right. You know, my thought is most likely either, you know, David got Max out to this sandbar and the son joined him or the son didn't join him. I don't know. But he did something, you know, unspeakable to Max. Sure. Knew that he could never let Max return. Right. Because he's going to tell. Tell on him. Tell on him. And 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 so he made sure that he would never return. And if you're out, let's, you know, eight miles, how deep is it out there? You, you take somebody's life jacket off. I don't want to get too gruesome, but there are ways to kind of help ensure that someone sinks for sure. You know, we we've covered that in, yeah. in many cases, it can get quite gruesome. How deep is it? You know, how would somebody even search for that? Like we said, it's a big area. How far away from the sandbar could this guy have potentially taken max to dispose of his body? Cause he, you're not going to do it right there. No. Cause you're giving up the information of, where you were. Right. So if you did do that, you're going to take him somewhere away from there. And then my thought is mother nature current is going to probably move that body. Sure. And it's going to end up somewhere, somewhere. And then you get into the fact that there's aquatic predator. Yeah. Predators. I mean, there are sharks and, and all that, but I mean, it's a tragic story, no matter which way it happened. Right. You know, if it was an accident, it would still be a tragedy. It's just hard for me to think it was an accident. And let's say he hit his head. Max hit his head on the wave runner. Yeah. He started to float away. The guy hears the thud. How far has he been? Has he floated when he hears the thud and he's not able to go get him? Decided not to act. Yeah. But his story changed, right? It I mean, did. It went from we weren't going to talk to then we were talking and, and, and he was saying he was going to swim the shore. And again, so at the end of the day, you know, if I have to put money on it, there is something with at least one, if not both of these guys that doesn't add up. Yeah. But I don't know how anybody's ever going to get to the bottom of it because I don't think right now anybody's trying to. Yeah, and I tried to look, and I couldn't find any good reports on if the wave runners fired up. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a question I had, because at a certain point, those wave runners um, had to get back. Right. And and that's the kind of the strange thing about, especially doing cases in other countries, 
reporting is so very spotty. Yeah. Things that you think are very important to the case are not written about at all. Like you would want to know. Yeah. I would like, so when you got there, did you take the key fob and put it on the wave runner and it just started right up? Mm -hmm. Was it flooded? Was it just what, what was the reason? But, but again, there are things that, you know, somebody could have done, like you said, flooding them, maybe, maybe you loosen a spark plug or, or, or something like that. But to have both of them go out at the same time. Very suspicious. That just is more than coincidence to me. But that's it for the disappearance of Max DeVries. We have some voicemails, Gibbs. You want to check those out? Yeah, let's hear them. Hey, guys. It's Andrea from the Chicago area again. I was calling regarding the Beverly J. Potter Mint case. And you guys were talking about caller ID. I am pretty sure that it did not come out till 1992, only because I used to call boys I liked and just to hear their voice answer, and I believe it was 1992. I hope you guys have a great week. Bye-bye. Yeah, that, that sounds about right to me. Like I said, when we were going through the episode, I didn't think it existed, but I didn't have it right in front of me. So I'm assuming after 92, she had to change up her tactics. Yeah. Switch it around. Can't just be calling and, you know, because they would know it was you. Exactly. Hey, guys. Just Bill out of Washington State. Here you guys called let you know after 21 years of my last career, retired, started driving a semi. Somebody suggested podcast, someone cost yours, and haven't turned back since. I think I'm on episode 118 so far. Gonna be a little depressed when I get to the end and have to wait a week to get the next episode. Anyway, the reason I was calling is because I thought it'd be cool if you guys brought a sketch artist in because we've covered them a couple times in the episode and described each other. And the portraits you incorporate somehow in your merch. I think it'd be awesome. I'd be one of the first to get that. All right, guys. Um, great job. Keep up the good work. Keep on time picking. Thanks. It's it's actually really a brilliant idea. Yeah, it really is. I don't know where you find a sketch artist. Well, I can tell you where to find a few. <laughs> ones, or we can just get ones that have already been done of you. <laughs> and, that's uh, the easy part. That's the easy part. And then we'll just have somebody come in. I mean, you can get an artist. Yeah. I want like a real police sketch yeah. artist, though. I want a hardcore one that comes in like. Right. You know. And I want you to sit over there. And then I have to try to describe you. Yeah. And I want them to have that really, that one mustache. Like the Van Dyke? Yeah. The, the kind of one that goes down the side, almost like a like a little, little goatee? Or? Super dark, you know? <laughs> that seems very oddly specific, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll ask if yeah. <laughs> if he has that or. He, what about what what if oh, it's a woman do you still want yes. her to have the van she has to have it too yeah yeah <laughs> but, but it's a cool idea yeah it's cool he's you know loving the trucking and you know i, I passed the other day this so i've seen some big rigs out there okay i saw this like <laughs> super rig man it was like it's twice the size of as a normal i would call it like a the normal king size rig you know uh-huh. i don't think these are terms used by semi <laughs> uh, drivers um so, but it wasn't too connected, piggybacked. No, no, this because I've seen that. Yeah, just just the trailer. I mean, not the trailer, just the the rig itself was like huge. Like you oh. could probably sleep like 
Like it had a big, a bigger sleeper, cab. Yeah, maybe. The cab was like really huge than some of the other ones. Yeah, like it might have had like a full kitchen, maybe. A oh, little, that'd be cool. Uh, uh, you know, sunken living room. All I <laughs> sunken live a rumpus room. Rumpus maybe it room. had a rumpus room. Had a rumpus room. The only thing I know is that semi drivers make really, really great podcast listeners. They do, man. I love them because they can binge the you know what oh, out heck of. Them. Yeah, heck so. yeah. All right, we appreciate you calling in we for do. sure. All right, buddy, that is it for another episode of True Crime All the Time Unsolved. So for Mike and Gibby, stay safe and keep your own time ticking. True crime on Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries with forensic files and 48 hours. Investigate crimes with Dateline 24 7 and unsolved mysteries. With thousands of free crime movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming true crime on live channels and on demand. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.